What's up, everybody, and welcome to Beer People. I'm Matt Prince. And I'm Chris Horn. And we're Beer, Beer People. People. As a the final interview episode of the season, I feel it's important. I, I try not to just uh, have the opening always have to do with how we did that part of the intro, but I think I figured it out. I think I figured out why in the audio we're never quite sync. Oh yeah, why is that, Chris? If you notice, when things are recorded on Zoom, it doesn't allow two streams of audio to go through at the same time in the recording. So for instance, if we're interviewing a guest and they say something or we laugh in the background, that laugh doesn't always come through if it's while they're talking. And so I think we do time it well sometimes and just Zoom is trying to fuck with us. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And. Uh... You know, we should have thought about this before we tried to time part of our intro to overlap. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe this is something we should have thought about, you know, three seasons ago. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, oh, well, you know. Oh, well. But oh, now well. we can maybe retire that part of the intro. Maybe next season we come back and it's like all oh, new wow. we start the episode. We I mean, the possibilities. Yeah, Wow. Yeah. And speaking of um, doing things that we don't currently do, don't, oh, this is a stretch. I can't do gymnastics. Your kids do do gymnastics. I'm trying to segue there. How is gymnastics going? Gymnastics is good. It's just Caleb, uh, just my son. Um, my that 10 makes month sense. Old, my 10 month old just learned to. Yeah, yeah. She just learned to crawl. So yeah. let's. I wasn't sure if they had like an age differentiated, like this is just for crawlers. This is how you learn to turn over. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think uh, new, new to the crawling game uh, babies <laughs> would really get much out of gymnastics. Um, but uh, yeah, Caleb's doing great. We're getting ready for where they're, they're getting ready for. I'm not in the class. Um, they're getting ready for um, their like showcase and the theme is Lion King. So I they think just be in the class, Matt. I think yeah. you should join that class. I mean, I was looking at the routine that they're going to do for the showcase and, you know, it was not far off from my show choir days. So, you know, oh. yeah. So um, I, I, it was really cute to watch them, but uh, you know, we had plans to, to record this. And of course, you know, the, the problems of a suburban dad, you know, there's traffic on the way home from gymnastics. So, uh, but here we are. And, uh, you know, I made it, you know, only eight minutes late. So Hey, yeah, it's not not, bad. not too bad. No, it's not bad at all. And uh, speaking of travel time, in uh, so we're recording this on Saturday, April fifteenth, and then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. In five days, you and I will be driving to Portland, Maine. Yeah, yeah, really exciting. This will be my second time in Portland, Maine, but the first time I really get to explore. We were there for like less than a day before uh, my wife and I, we, we shot up a, a day early, uh, a day earlier than our um, Acadia trip was uh, going to start. So we could explore a little bit of Portland, but it really was a little bit. Um, I'm super excited and it's for, you know, beer person Francis's bachelor party and, you know, we're going to be hitting a lot of breweries. So it's going to be a, a really good time. You and I are going to have a great drive up. Um, where we're going to hit some breweries as well. So, yes. you know, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, speaking of fun, a couple of things. One, uh, we got to buy our log jamming tickets soon. Yes, yes, we do. Um, 
for our listeners who don't know, Log Jammin is the all logger beer fest thrown by human robot. Um, we're going on number three, uh, which is really exciting because we've been to um, number one and number two. It started off as this really modest uh, beer fest at the old Kensington Beer Garden. And then last year it was at Cherry Street Pier. And for those people who don't know, who are not familiar with Philadelphia, Cherry Street Pier is big. Like it is not a small place. And there were, I mean, so many breweries, so many well-known breweries, you know, serving up some of the best lagers you can possibly have. And great music, uh, food. It's it's just a great time. And it's a great time for us to see familiar faces. I mean, we see brewers that we've, you know, met through the podcast. We see other people who we've met through beer fests. Um, and it's always just a really fun time. So I can't wait. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm stoked. We got to buy those tickets. Yes, uh, we do. Speaking of tickets. No, I, I'm just, you were like the king of the segue today. You're like, you're jumping from one to the other with the speaking of. And I love <laughs> I'm just it. excited. Yeah. I, Chris, I am too. But speaking of excitement, how's your life going? What's going on <laughs> with you, Chris? I, you're wearing a, a race shirt. And I am. Broad Street is... Run. So are you, isn't the Broad Street Run today or was it, or no, it's, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it today? I don't know. I'm taking oh. this, I'm, I'm off season of training right now. Gotcha. Or, or it's, I think it might be tomorrow. It's coming um, up soon. For folks who don't know, that's a, a 10 mile race down a street that bisects the city of Philadelphia. It's a really cool run. And it's slightly yeah. downhill the whole way, which is like really nice. Right. So, uh, but uh, you know, how's life? What's going on? Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited for um, a few hours from now. I have a date day planned uh, with Kelsey and it's, she works night shifts. So it's 8 PM tonight to 8 PM tomorrow because <laughs> she's sleeping during the day today. Uh, but we got a stacked lineup of seeing Sean Paul in concert you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then tomorrow we'll, there's a couple options. Oh, this comes out after that. So tomorrow she has a couple options. We'll either go to this outdoor Southeast Asian food market in Philly, or just have like a nice, easy morning watching love is blind. And then the other highlight tomorrow is that we're gonna, and I got a thumbs up from you on that. Uh, the other highlight is that for lunch, we're going to this place called Fabrica in Fishtown, Philadelphia, where they do these like acrobatic, like sensual acrobatic performances, like while you eat in this like really cool vibe with like jungle plants around you. I've never been. This is just from a few Instagram photos, but I'm pretty stoked about it. Yeah, uh, Chris, that all sounds great. And, you know, I give you the thumbs up for for either option. Uh, the the open air Southeast Asian um, market sounds fantastic. But Love is Blind also sounds fantastic. M- my wife and I just finished the season last night. Um, no spoilers for you, Chris, but my jaw spent a lot of the time on the floor. Uh, Whoa, you know, there was some really? definite. Yeah, just I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were some unexpected things, um, but it was definitely a satisfying season finale. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to the live reunion that will air tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow as in Sunday, the 16th, even though our listeners will be listening to this on or after Tuesday, the 18th. It's live tomorrow. Tomorrow at eight o'clock. Live. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Well, a lot of excitement today. A lot of segues and excitement. Yeah. And you know what, Chris? Uh, speaking of, no. Um, <laughs> but, but in all honesty, uh, today's episode is one that I'm thrilled with, mostly because, you know, we've talked about how do we grow our listenership? How do we get more people, you know, joining us for these conversations? And to me, and we talked about this a little bit at our retreat that we mentioned last episode, um, getting big guests, you know, getting guests from breweries that are well-known, not just, you know, locally here in Philadelphia, um, but also spread out wider across the country. And we've, I think we've done a, for being a very modest, you know, kind of hyper-local podcast, we've done a nice job at at branching out a little bit, um, you know, specifically, you know, having on the guys from uh, Tripping Animals. And now this week, um, having on uh, Gabriel Magliaro from Half Acre, which is such an exciting thing for us. Um, Half Acre is such a well-known brand. They've been making great beer for a long time. And to be able to speak to the man who was, you know, who's the the CEO, the owner, um, and used to brew, not so much anymore, but... Um, talking to him was such a treat and um you know it's it's hopefully a sign of things to come as we look to kind of reach out to the different corners of this uh of the beer landscape so i mean i hope like i said you know gabriel is really he is the central figure of half acre and uh for those of you who you know have had the pleasure of enjoying his beer or for those of you who have not um i think this is going to be a really really cool listen for sure. Yeah. And um, to just add on to what you're saying about expanding out of the geographic area too, we love like being able to interview breweries of different like uh, sizes, locations, approaches to the work they do, approaches to how to build community. And so we appreciate the small ones. We appreciate the big ones. And you're right. Like in, in this season alone, we've had a few um, we well, we made an intentional effort to branch out of the geographic area because we have Half Acre, which listeners are about to hear right now, Lady Justice in Aurora, Colorado, Paddled South down in North Carolina, Back Home Beer in New York City, uh, L Hayes, aka Lindsay Hayes, aka Hoppy Hayes in South Carolina, John Paradiso in North Carolina, <laughs> Tripping Animals in Miami. Uh, and then Philly, Philly and central North central PA. So that's a pretty good, that's almost, that's mostly not Philly. And part of the way that we were able to do that is through social media, which we heard about from Lindsay Hayes. And the way that we got connected with half acre was also through social media. And, um, Matt, before we cut to the interview, can you just give a quick rundown recap of how your post led to us connecting with them? Yeah, you know, around um, Hanukkah, uh, I am Jewish. I, I made a couple posts about, um, you know, celebrating the holiday. And I had some pictures with some some beer, including, uh, I think it was a, du- a double daisy cutter um, and a menorah. And it was, or and I think I also had, I think I might've had the picture of the double daisy cutter sitting on menorah um, tablecloth or Hanukkah tablecloth. And um, Half Acre kind of gave me a shout out and then, you took took it from there and we're like, hey, half acre, you, you want to come on the podcast? And then before I knew it, I had an email in the inbox and uh had a guy you know, named Tim White 
And he was really the facilitator of all of this. And he actually, I mean, this, I really respected and appreciated um, his thorough process. He actually called me and we set up a time to have a phone call where we kind of talked about the podcast, but it wasn't just like me trying to interview for them, like trying to get them on the podcast. He was also giving me the rundown of what they do, um, which was really cool. Um, you know, it, it felt like more of like really a partnership and how can we make this conversation happen? And being um, from the second largest half acre consuming um, metropolitan area, um, being the Philly area um, behind only Chicago, where half acres from, they were really interested in the podcast that not only spoke to really important um, issues, but also a podcast from a city that has a lot of their consumers. So um we set this up and we we had to push back a couple of times because as we have found out and as we know, life happens. And, you know, when you own a brewery, things come up and uh, we were really happy that, you know, all parties stuck to this and we were able to um, make this conversation happen with Gabriel. Yeah. And it was a, a great conversation. We're going to let listeners uh, jump to it momentarily and just on the note that we really appreciated this outreach on their part, and it, it really has been a great experience. So listeners, without further ado, check out our interview with Gabriel Magliero. So Gabriel Magliero, welcome to Beer People. Thanks a lot. Good to be here. Appreciate you uh, having me. Absolutely. Uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about what an honor it is to have you here. I mean, in terms of breweries that you can just say their name, I mean, everyone knows Half Acre. Everyone knows that Daisy Cutter, that beautiful can that, you know, signify it's kind of like a beacon that you are a place where craft beer is enjoyed. Um, and it's so cool to have the man behind Half Acre here with us. So it's really an honor to have you. So thank you so much for coming. Glad to be here again. Thank you. Yeah, and to echo what Matt said, uh, just that level of excitement, but we would love to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so Gabriel, can you tell us and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, um, you know, at this point, been at this for uh, for quite some time. And, and you know, it's like you, you sort of recount the ways that you you got here that that path uh, that that journey in and you know i think it's uh i like reflecting back on it i i pieced together differently over time as to what's important but um there you know before we started recording you guys said that you know phillies are philadelphia area is our second largest uh area of of consumption in the country and that's sort of not by coincidence we early on in half acres, uh, journey, we started selling beer in Philly because myself, Matt Gallagher, my business partner, we're from, uh, you know, not, not too far outside Philadelphia, a little place called, I'm from Lambertville, New Jersey, which is right across the bridge from New Hope, Pennsylvania. So we're about 45 minutes outside of Philly. And, uh, that's where I was born in the Florida Keys. Um, you know, hippie parents and, uh yeah i sort of that existence down there in the in the 70s um you know my mom didn't wear shoes and we had a um you know guy living in a tree fort in the backyard and 
I, I think some of those early seeds definitely uh, decided that I, I wasn't going to be an accountant for a living. Um, and moving up uh, to in, 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 to New Jersey, uh, that's just like an artist region there. Uh, Lamberville, New Hope is like really an artist community. And, and I got um, uh, just thrown into the arts world there. And that sort of took me through uh, art school and glass blowing, and eventually I made it to Colorado uh, after uh, really diving headlong into glasswork. And I worked as a glassblower out in Boulder, Colorado for a few years. And it was out there that a I started going to like just some of beer's earliest uh, wonderful craft breweries, um, you know Avery and. Mountain Sun and Boulder Beer Company and uh, places that were really great examples of what this looked and, and felt like. And while I learned how to do like really traditional, like Murano style glass blowing while out there, I did learn how to make bongs and pipes and uh, work with borosilicate and used to go to Avery Brewing Company and trade pipes for kegs. Uh, this is in the 90s, by the way. And, you know, going there and sort of getting behind the scenes, it was like, it was so obvious, uh, just this connectivity between professional life and personal life, you know, these, the people that were working there, um, you know, they sort of didn't have a divide between what it was to be a professional and what it meant to be who they were personally. And that resonated with me and not that glass blowing did it, it. That was sort of the same version of it for me. Um, but that was like uh, being a, being a bar rat and then seeing uh, this, this way of being, it was, it was very inspirational for me. I came to Chicago to go back to school um, and I got a fine arts degree here in Chicago at the school art Institute, great art school. And uh, at that time, there weren't many breweries in Chicago. It, for a city of 3 million people with more millions around it, uh, there were really just a handful. You had Goose in the city, um, which they were really the only production brewery in the city of Chicago. You had Floyd's in Indiana, Two Brothers in the Burbs. Uh, you had Peace and Rock Bottom, and then a couple of both pubs, then a couple other pubs in the Burbs. Other than that, nothing. And, um, I didn't understand that. I came to learn about all the reasons why there weren't more over time. Um, but I felt like there was a hole and being young and having nothing to lose. Um, I jumped in and I, uh, sort of half acres been my attempt to, again, to align myself personally with uh, what I do professionally and certainly use creativity and the arts and just making as uh, as the engine for for what I do every day. It's really cool to see where you came from, mostly because, you know, it's always exciting for a consumer to build or to kind of construct the story of where what you're consuming came from. And it sounds like, um, you know, a lot of half acres roots, even though you were just a child, go back to those early days in Florida, you know, the hippie lifestyle, because just looking at your beer, even just looking at it, because the can art is always beautiful. There is definitely more going on there. And there's definitely um, art rooted in art and rooted in creation and free spirit. 
Um, can you just talk a little bit about maybe some aspects of your childhood that directly correlate to the product that we have in front of us now? That's an interesting question. I don't think I've ever been uh, asked that specifically. Um, well, I think, you know, the visual language is something that my family uh, on both sides uh, were always invested in this sort of, and the notion of making, you know, like it or not, like whatever you're doing, um, bringing yourself uh, into that that need to make things. So my aunts, my uncles, my mom, uh, on on both sides, these are these are makers. And whether that is as a profession or what you do when the kids go to sleep, or what you do at two in the morning when you can't sleep, um, sort of that investment in the idea of of taking something and making taking nothing and and turning it into something. So I think that uh, that was something that was just part of me growing up, and obviously I took it into art school and and everything else, and and I think um, that sort of like being built into my DNA, I think, has spilled over into Half Acre. It, we were actually talking about it in our we had a creative meeting today, our sort of art department, if you will, and. Uh, we've been pretty promiscuous, visually promiscuous, I'll say, o over the years where, and in the early days, especially, there was, there was so much open ground visually. Um, you know, there was, there was very much a blueprint in the 90s, early 2000s of what beer iconography was. And coming into it, um, there was a lot of areas where beer just wasn't visually. And we really started to say, all right, well, th with this next one, what about, what about this? We haven't really seen this or, or felt this in beer yet. Um, and that exploratory nature, I think is just as much a part of, uh, of all of it as just this idea of making and, uh, sort of like, let's, let's see what over there, let's, what's over there. Let's see if we connect with that and see if we can translate that for ourselves. Uh, so yeah, we've been on some mission over time. And I think now you know, today that that visual landscape is very different, wildly different. It's almost, it's chaotic and there aren't too many, you know, it, a lot of the ground has been covered and I, I can almost flip that. What we were talking about today was flipping that in a sense that really the, uh, the work now is a bit more about going deeper and deeper and deeper into yourself and mining for those layers way down deep um, as opposed to looking where you haven't been before because somebody has already probably been there. Very interesting. And I don't want to skate over the connection here to glass blowing and the amount of creativity that goes into that. Can you take us back, speaking of your childhood and this creative mind, can you take us back to how you got into glass blowing and what that was like to pursue as a career? Yeah. So um, what happened was when I was in, I was in high school and, you know, I was a smart ass and I would get in a, a decent amount of trouble in high school You've got to tell us about some of the trouble, by the way. You can't. Well, you know, none, none of it's particularly unique, but you, you know, <laughs> either you or some kid in your class said something dumb and wound up in the dean's office, and um, and that happened to you know a, a, enough to where the dean and I was also 
I would, I was in the art room as much as I possibly could be. So, and, and the dean of my school, my high school, uh, was a stained glass artist. And he, and this, you guys are in education, right? He did me a huge solid and took it upon himself to sort of like tap into me in a different way, brought in all of his stained glass, uh, all of his stained glass materials, both stained glass and the tools and said, Hey, I do this. Maybe you would like to try this too. And from that, I started doing stained glass like a lot and eventually um, graduated into like doing like architectural leaded glass and blowing glass in uh, in school, in, in college. And um, part of what I loved about glass is not so much the result of it, but the act of doing it. And if anybody has seen like traditional glass blowing, it's very physical um, and you have to have a lot of coordination and it's very much a, a uh, it's sort of like a bizarre sport and, uh, you know, that's really easy to screw up. And anyway, I, I like the intensity of that and, and the process of doing it. And I guess got swept up and eventually I was blowing glass at a place called hot soup in Philadelphia and, uh, moved out, moved out West. And I worked, um, at a place called Diablo glass for about three years. I showed up on site. Actually, they were Philly guys that set up out there. And I just showed up one day right after moving there. And we got to talking and, you know, there was a lot of crossover between our past doing the work where we grew up and the band Ween. And uh, that very same day, I was, I was assisting uh, one of the owners in their hot shop there. And, and yeah, three years later, um, I, you know, I'd put in a ton of hours making a ton of things. Uh, absolutely. You know, this is what I did. But I realized I also, I probably, like I couldn't physically make any more than I was. I probably wasn't going to be the next Dale Chihuly. And there was just more that I wanted to understand about the creative landscape. And so I I, I came to Chicago to go back to school. So I I find it kind of ironic that you were a glass blower and you have such a history with glass. Because the first thing that I noticed the first time I saw a can of Daisy Cutter was that it was indeed in a 16-ounce pounder can. And I remember, you know, I started drinking craft beer 2005, no, 2008, 2007, 2008, um, drinking Trogues. And then not long after, a bottle shop opened up in my hometown. And one of the first things I put my eyes on was this silver gray can with flowers on it and um and can you just talk about how you've utilized um the aluminum versus glass to be a to be a kind of a uh palette or you know palette or not not even a palette a canvas that's the word a canvas for your art at half acre yeah, <clears throat> that's a good question because um, we you know we were one of we were a very early adapter of of cans and right when you know when we started we started making beer by uh, working with a brewery at a Black River Falls, Wisconsin, and that was we sold our first beer in two thousand and seven, and and we we did we we didn't possess so many of the qualities that one should possess when starting a commercial brewing enterprise. 
Um, but we were young and, and like we had a, you know, go for it attitude. And, um, but again, so some of those things were not, you know, deep pockets to, to build a brewery. So we started by doing that in 2008, we're like, okay, I, I think we have more of what is necessary to feel like we can, uh, make the reckless step of going into debt with a large corporate bank. And that's what we did. So when we did that, we, you know, it's not like we had a bottling line. We hadn't, we had no packaging line and we looked at, uh, well, where, where beer was at that time and what our interests were. And then also Chicago, I think, at that point, you had Oscar Blues were, were using cans. Um, Ska Brewing Company were using cans. I think Maui around uh, was was using cans, but but very, very few. Nobody in Illinois. Um, and you had just had a handful around the country that were craft brewers that were, you know, wing nuts like we were that were that were doing this. It was also really prominent in in Chicago. Tall boys, you yeah. know. You know, uh, PBR tall boys, old style tall boys. They were they're everywhere. That was like uh, in the ballparks. You know, in all the slashies and all around town. That was like something that felt natural to the city of Chicago. And then for our own, just like where our headspace was at, we were like, this is a. It makes practical sense. Cans don't allow light in the beer. Uh, it's it's better for the beer. Cans are more recyclable um, and they're lighter to move around. They're, these are better environmentally. I mean, you could push on that and talk about aluminum mining and things, but uh, probably overall they're they're better for beer and certainly, yeah, probably better for beer. Um, and then we're like, cans are badass. This this makes sense for, for half acre. And we got an early cask line, uh, which is a, you know, a manufacturer that makes lower end canning lines. And that was certainly a, you know, a differentiator for, for us in the early days. I can re remember crystal clear in my mind, our distributor being like, do not do this. Like, I think we're going to do cans or like, don't, nah, don't do cans. Terrible idea. Um, which we like to joke to them about these days, but obviously it, it worked out. It is a great uh, visual package because you can, and especially the printed, well, sort of trade-offs, printed cans, you can have six colors and it's spot printing. So you're limited, but it is a full wrap. It's color 360 degrees is pretty nice. Labeled cans, which we do a lot of that too. Uh, for color, you can do anything, but it's not as much of the can. So um, so yeah, cans and half acre are pretty like, uh, they are one. And uh, yeah, we're really proud of our choice to do it then. And it's, it's served us well and it's served the beer well. So. Sorry to interrupt. Um, my, I have an, elder, an elderly neighbor who doesn't have any family nearby. So I'm one of her only like contact people and she's having an emergency right now. So I'm going to have to step out for a bit. Hopefully I'll come back. I'm going to send Matt some uh, questions that I have. Um, and if you guys get to them, then cool. Um, but if not, no worries. Um, I'm really sorry. I'm like one of the only people in the area who like knows any of her family to contact. So do what um, you got to do. I'll hopefully be back. But in case I'm not, then Gabriel really appreciate you. Oh, good. Take care of the elderly. We'll see you. Thanks, man. Take care, Chris. So 
we're talking about your beer in cans and the first beer that I saw that pretty much anyone saw off half acre on the shelf is this wonderful pale ale called Daisy Cutter. Can you talk a little bit about that beer, how it's become so important and such a part of the fabric of craft beer history um, and how it came about? Yep. So when we were uh, getting our brewery online, this is 2008 and uh you know, we, our first beer that we came out was actually was a lager beer and um, sort of a mediocre lager beer at that. But we pretty much knew that when, when we had our brewery up and running, we were going to uh, start putting out hoppy beer and something that we felt, um, I think, just like encapsulated what we felt was like the best part of breweries like ours, small uh, very hand-driven, uh, rudimentary, you know, just like rough hewn beers, you know, made, made by, made by humans, not a lot of technical anything or automation to be seen. Uh, this is, this is pretty, these are raw beers. And so we thought we could bring something like that, uh, from us and, um, have that, be the sort of initial step out once we had a brewery we had uh so we had tommy nicely working with us then and tommy uh you know classic came up through the ranks brewer uh had worked at goose had worked at lagunitas and between myself and matt and tommy we talked around this you know this this beer that that we wanted to do and we were looking for something that West Coast on the drier end, um, which over time it got very dry. We wanted some of the the classic Pacific Northwestern hops, and we wanted like we wanted grain malt character. Not um, I, you know, living in Colorado, you know, fat tire, and you know, a lot of like malt driven beers. Where even IPA was was very malt driven back at that point sweet in a lot of cases um so daisy cutter our hope was that it was going to be dry you know uh and and even verging on bone dry um and that was going to focus on aromatics and uh yeah some of the some of the classic hops and as soon as we started making it 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 was like it felt immediate that people responded well to it. And from that point, which was 09, with the first time that, that we made it, we were making it in bombers, 22 ounce bombers. Uh, from that point till probably really 2013, it just sort of dragged our brewery around uh, because the culture of beer was very different then. And I mean, the professional culture, uh, it, you didn't, when, you know, if you got a draft account in town, you got like one of 10 handles and you dealt with the bar owner and they had two distributors. And the idea that you would run out of that beer was not calm. Like that did not exist. That was not how beer worked. So we tried not to run out of beer for like four years straight, basically. Um, and kind of, you know, drove ourselves crazy a little bit. Um, and that, you know, ultimately led to scale pretty fast and bulging out of our brewery 
pretty fast and ultimately the need to to build again. But it's been a special beer for us. It it is a part of a lot of people's journey into beer, certainly Chicagoland, you know, a, a, a decent number of people in, in the Philadelphia area as well. And uh, for whatever reason, I think it 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 is able to hold a line, um, sort of a through line in beer to where it 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 had something like a, a relevance then or an emerging relevance then and it, and it maintains a relevance now so that that to me that that through line is is pretty special and um it's a credit to everybody else uh for for keeping sucking it down so we're we're pumped on that so i just want to talk a little bit more a little bit more about this beer because it is so good and i just had my first can of daisy cutter just the straight up pale ale the classic in a long time and boy is it delicious i mean especially given kind of the uh, haze fatigue that a lot of people are having. It really cuts through that. It's so clean. It's like very much, um, it's like fundamentally perfect. Like it's just like one of those fundamentally perfect beers, but it has uh, spawned some um, offshoots and that's what I'm drinking. One of which I'm drinking now. I'm currently drinking um, Nelson Double Daisy Cutter. Can you talk a little bit about why you decided to take that beer in the direction you took it in and how much of the original original daisy cutter is in these hazier um more uh that you know iterations that more fit the current beer drinker yeah daisy cutter is like packed down deep in a little corner of that beer somewhere um you know uh now the one year which we do a a, a good range of double daisy cutter variants nelson is the one that you're enjoying right now some of them um are a you know more west coast in nature like original daisy cutter uh and then a lot of when we get into uh, the double daisy cutter it, it is they are hazier and um you know just probably more aligned with a lot of the hoppy beers of of today and I think it's probably for for good reasons, and some of that is just for our own drinking preferences. Um, I personally, you know, at, at this point in time, higher ABV. I I like a chewier beer as as ABV goes up. I like for it to be. We used to do a lot of like, I don't know if you ever, <clears throat> um, Navaja, Deep Space beers like this that are on the drier and more West Coast side, but are like you know. 10% and I don't do a lot of that these days. So, but Nelson is really an opportunity to highlight Nelson hops, which uh, we just love that varietal. We love New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand farms are awesome. Uh, Want to move to New Zealand as, as, as soon as I'm able, which is probably not going to happen, but what, what a place, uh, what dynamic hops they're able to produce there. And Nelson was really, was the first New Zealand hop we ever worked with. And Vallejo was the first beer that we made with Nelson. And this was a long time ago before you started seeing New Zealand hops popping up, which today they're, I don't want to say ubiquitous, but you know, it's not too hard to find New Zealand hops, but Nelson in 2017 2016 i can't remember when we made it the first time what do you mean 2015 i don't know but um you know so cool so otherworldly so like what is that i can't i'm not you know like hey you sort of stop you're in your tracks like oh, i i haven't experienced something like that before 
a hallmark of Nelson is, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, Nelson, like Sauvignon Blanc grapes and you get that white grapey. Some people use the word caddy, which is a reference to cat pee, um, which nobody wants to drink cat pee, but uh, that sort of is, has become a, an indicator uh, for that. But Nelson continues to be cool. It's morphed a bit, but I think it's still as dynamic and and other su- southern hemisphere, other worldly quality. Uh, but double da- double daisy cutter as a thing is is an amped up um, version of daisy cutter. Of course, ABV, but also um, the the grain bill and everything about it. Uh, the hop loads. Uh, but we're also twisting around where we add hops and, and and the hops that we use. And in this case, Nelson being the dominant. Gabriel, I just want to let you know that you are the second uh, brewery owner who has likened hops to cat piss on this uh, podcast. You have joined Mike LaRosa from New Trail. So we are, I, mean, I feel like we have to talk to Chris about the cat piss hops hall of fame and you are now the second member. So congratulations on that. May I not be the last? Yes, uh, hopefully not. Fingers crossed. We will be talking about Capes hops once again. Um, you're, I feel like Half Acre is such like a microcosm for the entire beer industry. You know, even that beer Daisy Cutter. You know, it has grown with the industry, and like the iterations that we just talked about. You know, really are really expressive, um, and express what we are now. You know, into um, hazy IPAs are here. They're here to stay. This being a hazy pale ale, a double pale ale, you know, we've seen other um, amped up pale ales as well. Um, you know, I think of like, I liken this one more to like a pseudo Sue um, from, you know, from Toplin Goliath, whereas like OG Daisy Cutter, you know, I feel like has a, a spot next to Sierra Nevada pale ale. Um, and it's really cool to just see how your brewery has grown. Can you talk a little bit, though, because we've talked a lot so far about hoppy beers and the beers that you were mentioning are hoppy beers. But if you just spend a minute perusing your Instagram, you'll see the other types of beers you're doing. I mean, your your stouts are very uh, a very big part of what you do. Um, you know, Benthic is one that gets a lot of um, hype. But can you talk a little bit about some of the other beers you just released? Um, uh, fuzzy, fuzzy wheat um, and also. Yep. And, but also, like, you guys do table beers, um, and they're brewery only, which is always a big disappointment for me because I see <laughs> I see those table beers, and I'm like, send them my way. Like, Philly loves table beers. Um, can you talk a little bit about your affinity for other styles and, you know, that side of Half Acre that a lot of people who get your distribution, other than Chicago, don't get to see? Sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, we... I think we've been a very like brewer forward uh, brewery, uh, meaning that we, I think we've, we've translated our success to the idea of, uh, you know, making and trying and doing a lot of different things. And I probably for a long time that that made practical sense. And, you know, like that, that's, that's a good business choice. But it's also a complicated one over time. And certainly at our scale today, we sort of like, we're a little bit of everything. You know, we we are, we have a, a classic flagship uh, that we make a lot of, hopefully, you know, more and more each year. 
which that's even that is unique having a flagship um and that is sort of pervasive inside of a of a major metropolitan market market not not easy and not common we also do a lot of seasonal beers and we do uh sort of monthly releases inside of wide distribution then we have sort of our our regular weekly and bi-weekly churn of what I'll call, you know, shop releases or taproom releases where you have to come to the brewery and get them. And then we do a lot of, uh, or not a lot, but more barrel-aged work that, again, you have to come to us for. And that's, I'd say, a lot of that is about um, things that we want to do, things that we want to get better at, things that we want to try. And then some of those are, you know, like, tactful business choices that uh, we've made over time in order to get the most out of who we are and to uh, uh, do what we can with the the market share available to us. <clears throat> or I should say that, that that's a bad way of saying it. Do what we can with with the people that are that are interested in our beer. Um, so I think if I think about what I love most, it's it's hoppy beer. Half acre is a is a hoppy brewery. I think with That'll probably always be the case. And so much of the industry lands in that place, but really we were born and bred on it. And that's a lot of who we are. Uh, Pony Pills was an early, early uh, craft Pilsner, certainly in Chicago. I can really think of only one or two that came before it. And they were like Goose and Floyd's had Pilsners, you know, that were circling around long before ours. But after them, you know, Pony was a, it was a it was a big beer in Chicago um, and still remains like just a, a brewery favorite. Um, and I think maybe just like easily translatable beers that are sort of welcome everywhere. I that's that's what I think are super important. Like that that is beer for me. Um, but I think it's also that sort of sensory explosion that that end of the landscape is also super interesting and things that like. Like you want to push on it to see if we can sort of tweak for more. So you'll see a lot of big double IPAs and things like we just made a beer called Time Being that is probably the most explosive double IPA we've done. And I can't tell you how how long. And and I was just absolutely excited by it. And then we have a lot of people, right? So you you get me today, but uh, Half Acre is more than 100 different people. And there's a lot of people there that want to see a lot of different things for a lot of different reasons. And uh, there's a lot of merit in all of it. So, uh, you know, we uh, we're busy. We probably make 60 different beers a year. And uh, actually, that's probably high these days. We're probably more in the 50 different beers a year uh, range uh, today. And yeah, and we love that. That's huge. And uh, so... Well, uh, hi, <laughs> I'm back. Welcome back. Things are things are resolved and in a stable place, uh, so all is good. Um, so, since I missed all of that, can you start from the beginning and repeat it word for word? <laughs> That'd be tough. <laughs> Chris, uh, I can sum it up into two words, and you're going to be excited about this. If they're cat half piss. an acre, cat uh, piss. <laughs> cat piss. It happened you again. Talk about cat pissy beers. Yeah, we talked about cat pissy beers. We talked about cat pissy hops. Nice. Yeah, nice. I told him that he was the second uh, 
brewery owner to discuss uh cat pissy hops so we'll, yeah we'll talk, like, michael rosa. yeah michael rosa and, and, and did, it, did it come up with Lindsay too I think it, it might it might have, but but definitely the two of them. So yeah, we, uh, we have like a little cat piss hall of fame. Cat, the, cat, <laughs> the cat piss club. Cat piss club. Caddy, you know, caddy. It's it's not yeah. it's not a wheel. Caddy, you know. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It Absolutely. It is. Well, uh, so Gabriel, a question that I have for you is: so speaking of beer and the hundred people in your like half acre immediate employed community, but then there's also the much bigger half acre community of folks who come to the brewery and enjoy your beverages. Um, you guys have done a, a significant amount of work to like build community. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the social initiatives that Half Acre has been a part of? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know like where that starts and stops. Um, I think, you know, breweries at their best are, are, are social initiatives. Um, beer at its finest is a social product that, um, you know, is, is just like part of, uh, it's a little bit of the glue that, uh, that, that sort of brings people together and, and helps to amplify culture. And, um, certainly a reason that I got into beer was like, you know, beer's got this open pass, right? I mean, if there's an event, if it's a funeral, if a kid was born, if it's a baseball game, I could, I could go on for the next hour, you know, beer is welcome. And, um, so I think it's, it's about as great a tool for, uh, social anything that you could find. So I'd say maybe the, the earliest experience for us with that was when we opened our, our store, we didn't open a a tap room first. We opened a store, which was really one of the first of its kind, uh, certainly in the state of Illinois where you could just come and buy beer from us. That's all you could do. Uh, but our brewery, uh, uh, our former brewery, which uh, we don't have it any longer, but uh, is right in the middle of a nice neighborhood. And we did that for a reason. Uh, and, you know, walking, you can just walk by our brewery. And this is not a, it was not a brew pub. This was like a production brewery uh, right in, the, in and amongst where people lived. And that was like probably the uh, first social experiment that we had, just people walking in, uh, meeting us and buying beer from us. And that was a huge tool and just creating community. And um, beer is a lightning rod for community. So we, we've been really fortunate to A, begin to grow that beer drinking community and then meet a lot of other people that are doing a ton of different things. Some of that overlaps with beer, but not all of it. Um, today, our, our tentacles are like all over. And um, yeah, it's it's hard even to, to call out something specific, but we work with schools. Uh, we work with, um, you know, urban farming groups. Uh, we work with... Um, different food banks. Uh, we work with brew pub clubs, you know, like we try to show up, uh, to as much as we can within reason, uh, and try to allow our beer to, uh, be that, that glue. That's great. And I appreciate the, I'm assuming pun intended pun on the tentacles, given that your logo involves tentacles. Um, I, you know, I didn't, it wasn't an intention, but we can, uh, 
we can use it. Well, it, it, maybe it's all that much better for it because it's just a subliminal thing in your brain. You see, um, I Im- immediately thought of alive in its jaws. Ah, uh, nice. Those tentacles, which is, of course, well, for pe- people who drink half acre beer is one of the, your uh, double IPAs. So I heard tentacles. I was like, that's a snake. Jaws. That is a snake. Are you? Okay, now I'm saying it. Nope. Yeah, I just look too quick. That's all right. <laughs> I just look too quick. Now I see the snake being pulled on by wolves. Yep. I always see the can, and I'm like, what's in the middle there? And now I'm looking at the artwork <laughs> via Untapped, and I'm seeing two wolves pulling a snake. <laughs> my yeah. wife always says I look at things too quickly, and then I look past them. So once again, my wife is right. The idea for that label came from you ever like watch nature shows or even be present in some sort of natural environment and you see an animal that has just grabbed another animal and that animal that was grabbed is like writhing around in its mouth and the 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 hunt the animal that hunted it you know there is there is no remorse there you know there is just that uh yeah that animalistic quality that like this snake's like wrapping around that animal's face and it's like i am going to eat this and uh yeah something savage about that and you know and perfect nature is is perfect so and speaking of the the art and we talked a lot about creativity and art in in your past and how it uh makes its way onto logos and the importance of the appearance of the can um I happen to know that Half Acre was one of the first breweries to employ a full-time artist in Phineas. And also, so I'm curious about two things. Can you tell us a little bit about the importance of like having an artist full-time and in particular the work Phineas does? And then on the way there, since we talked about the logo, can you tell us where the that logo with the owl and the tentacles comes from? Sure. Well, yeah, we were... Uh... I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to say we were the first brewery to have a, an artist uh, full-time on staff like that, but uh, for us, it just made absolute sense because of how we were making beer. It was uh, so many beers all the time. You know, we were, uh, you know, a, a, such a release-based brewing culture at that point. We were releasing new beers all the time. We're labeling, labeling every single one of them. We believed in, in, in giving them like each label, everything that we had, uh, which got us to Phineas. And because Phineas, uh, you know, is such a wizard, really, uh, he can do anything. So I'd be like, Phineas, let's, let's look at this over here, an example of this artwork. Um, And he can get there. It may not be exactly that, but he would have a representation of that. Um, so it's, it's a credit to Phineas and his ability to, uh, really bring so much to life. Uh, Phineas was with us for, geez, about 10 years. He's, he is no longer, and he's, uh, you know, he's still, um, out there making art. That's what he does and, and making labels, uh, for other folks too. We have, um, a creative team at this point. We still do all of it in house. So no different. We're, we're still there. Um, and I think it, for us and a lot of others, like it helped translate what half acre is and what all these beers were and are right. I mean, if, if we just 
pushed out a name and told it to you and said that we made this beer, I don't think that would be nearly as impactful as providing you with this uh, this like visual system to to <clears throat> to help understand it. Excuse me. <clears throat> so um, you know, you get a feel like you you get a feel like alive in the straws. You were just looking at that. I think you you might be able to get a sense for how aggressive that beer is or uh, how intense it might be in what we were trying to say with that beer uh, versus, I don't know, looking at Pony Pilsner or one of our eight or Waybird, uh, for instance. Uh, these are, um, you know, little exploration into, you know, entire brand identities each time we do it. And that's uh, that's a tool set for all of us. Heck yeah. Oh, and the Squid Owl is very much Phineas. That's like, man, is that Phineas. That's sort of everything that he's about. Uh, these sort of things that don't belong together and don't, um, you know, make sense in a natural way. Um, yeah, things that don't belong. This sort of like land and sea creature as one. So um, when Phineas had, you know, done so much for half acre and had really put a stamp on uh, a lot of who we were visually uh, that came out of him and sort of he, he, he won the right to it. That's awesome. Yeah. And it definitely does convey like it's clear. It's so recognizable. It's so unique and it can convey a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, my, perhaps my last question uh, before we ask you whether there's anything else that we haven't covered that you want to make sure we cover uh, is so your background is largely in art. You're raised by hippies, uh, grew up in, you know, in the Keys, and then we're a glassblower. How did you also develop enough business acumen to start and then run a large operation and then to appear on the Chicago business 40 under 40, um, like business people a couple of years ago? Sorry to then, I guess, by math, put your age out there, but you know, I, um, I'm a work in progress. Let's just, let's just say that, you know, I, I think, um, had, had a lot of help over the years, uh, a ton of help continue to have, uh, well, today we have oodles of help. I think my, my goal at Half Acre has always been, you know, I was a pretty good, I'm a pretty good generalist, meaning I can, I can do a bunch of stuff pretty well, like, okay. And that was a great tool in the, in the earliest days of Half Acre, but slowly and surely I have displaced myself with people who are really good at, at certain things. And uh, that goes on up into our president chief operating officer today um, our director of brewing operations. Um, so I, I've been myself uh, pretty good at sniffing out where half acres should go and helping us to helping it to point the ship. Uh, I've been able to uh, early on get some great people involved who then us as a group were able to get more great people involved and we've been, really half acre is the result of a very large human enterprise of people um, 
all doing really cool things together. And uh, this, this, the results are uh, really are in the hands of, of many, many people. And um, I'm, I'm lucky to be around for, for all of it. And um, yeah, just, just feel super lucky. And my business partners are just fucking awesome. Great people, good humans have always been reasonable about what this is, why we do it, what to expect from it. Um, and you know, today's industry is super hard. So like, you can't be a slouch on any of it. And, uh, and we have a lot of plates in the air and like, you know, um, yeah, feel, feel really good about how dialed in we are today, but man, is it a, it's a, we, it's a big, we. It's always nice to hear that because I mean, anytime you're creating, I feel like it, it's more meaningful when, when you're doing it with people. And as create as a creator, and you know, I can speak to this a little bit, being someone who has a degree in acting, like you create with others, and that's the beauty of it. Um, Gabriel, we are we are so thrilled that you came on to talk to us. So thank you so much. Um, we do have one more question. Is is there anything you want the listeners to know about um anything coming up with Half Acre, anything that we can expect? Where do you see Half Acre going? Because Half Acre has such a firm footprint, not only in the Chicago beer uh community, but also it reaches out, especially, you know, to us lucky people here in the Philadelphia area. But where do you see Half Acre going from here? Where do you want it to go? And uh, anything on the horizon that you can speak to? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. You know, I think I think beer is on like solid ground, but sort of the next step ahead of it is a little like, hey, where 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 is it? Where you know all the steps leading up to now were were pretty much sequential. I think for beer, the next one is, I would say, is not as sequential as it's been. You know, there's a lot of what I'll call confusing elements in beer right now, and there are more between the rise of every other alcohol in the landscape. And, and another one was invented since we started this podcast probably. Right. So between the hard teas and the kombuchas and the seltzers, you know, like uh, there are a lot of, a lot of things who are tugging for all of our attention at this point. Beer. Um, and, and we're a really good example because we've been doing this a while now and uh, we felt a lot of that that wa- that wave or that uh, the arc of excitement that goes along with beer. But today it is more commonplace craft beer um, and and all the things that go along with doing what we do for a living. But I urge people, um, and I believe Half Acres future is sort of tied into this as I, I urge people to sort of like rewind a bit and to think um, where beer, where beer is and, and, and why, and really the role that it plays. Um, and beer is sort of like this, this thing that connects so many it's, it's about farming and engineering and hundreds of years of generational inspiration and communities of people that have been making one thing for a very long time, like it has longevity and it has um, a lot of spirit and a lot of reason for being that you just don't find, you know, seltzer, if you want to, if, if you want to get a buzz on seltzer, like 
more power to you. I, I am not, I'm not, not taking you down a peg. Um, but it doesn't have that cultural risk, uh, richness and that, that reason for being in that place in society like beer. And I think we all, us as a brewing company and consumers need to be really thoughtful about that place and how we reinvest in it and uh, respect it and be sure that, um, you know, in a hundred years, your kids' kids are having podcasts talking about beer. <laughs> yeah, it is so deeply rooted. And it just seems really clear to me that you have found a way to do what you were aspiring to do of combining that, what you do in your personal aspirations, what you do in your professional, and you're able to make that live in what is Half Acre. So thank you for all that you've done for the Half Acre community and the beer community. And then thank you so much for joining us here today. Hey, awesome to be here. Thanks for being interested. What a cool dude. Amazing. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he <laughs> it's like you never know what you're going to get. You know, we sent out feelers for the podcast and we, you know, uh, for breweries that we like, that we see are doing great work. And you but you really don't know what you're going to get until the interview happens. And that's the beauty of this podcast is that we've had some episodes where we interview people having no clue what's coming. And it ends up being the most impactful interview that we've done. And then you find that you, and you think you've had the interview that tops all interviews, and then you have another one. And that's, that's what we're lucky, Chris. I mean, we're lucky that we get to have these conversations. We really are. And you're so right about like, we don't screen, like we don't do a personality test. Like we don't have people do a public speaking event before coming on here. We have no actual idea we know what we can find online about people and what their brewery stands for, but we have no idea whether individual people are also going to be good storytellers. And those are two very different skill sets. But then you have someone like Gabriel, who, with just a general prompt of tell us about yourself, goes back to early childhood and like life philosophy of like how to merge professional and personal life, which is something people spend lifetimes like dancing around without figuring out that that's what they're trying to do. And like, I know I've had that debate of where is that line for me? And do I want there to be a blur or do I want them to mesh? And he just dove right in. Yeah. And also like, it's always exciting for me to hear about people who have the guts to, to throw themselves into their life's dream. Like, you have to have the 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 absolute nerve to like do all the things that Gabriel's done. Like, yes, he was he had like a hippie upbringing in Florida, but like then to be that kid in high school whose dean calls him in and teaches him about glass. I mean, I really felt like I was listening to like a movie plot. Um, but like it's real life because he was he had his convictions and he stuck with it and he chased and he got and he. You know, not, he even said like he he would get in trouble in high school, but the fact that he like actually, you know, found his path 
which everyone has. There is a path for everyone. He found it and he took it. And now it's taken him to Chicago. He's doing this beautiful thing with Half Acre. And, you know, and for those of you, we didn't even ask him about the name. You know, he is yeah, from an area. Um, the name Half Acre comes from Devil's Half Acre in New Jersey, which is an area, but also has like a, a beautiful trails. Um, it's a nature area. Um, and that's where he got the name Half Acre. And I, I meant to ask him about the glasses that he's released recently that have a devil on it. And I wanted to ask if that had to do with uh, Devil's Half Acre. But regardless, you know, his journey, I feel like he has picked up a piece of wherever he's been and that's carried a half acre and that's a really cool thing to realize and as a consumer you know that when you are drinking the beer from half acre that it is the culmination of this rich story when you send him a follow-up email can you ask him if the devil on the glassware has to do with the devil's half acre oh absolutely and then we can include that in the episode description or in like you know, an Instagram comment. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, that was, that was a really neat experience. It was also just neat to reiterate like what we said in the intro uh, about how this all came to be that we're out here just like doing our best to make a podcast that we have fun with, but that brings attention to like interesting stuff. And then you posted the Hanukkah photo, Half Acres account liked it. And then we were like, Florida, we're like, holy shit, Half Acres account just liked this post that had like 14 likes, right? Like it's not, it's yeah. not a single thing. And then we just posted it in the story and we're like, yo, Half Acre, want to come on the podcast? Yeah. And then they come on the podcast. And here well, we and then we had, like a, we had like a message from, like we had a message from them on Instagram from Tim White. Thank you, Tim, for hooking this up. Tim works at Half Acre and Tim and I actually, I, I want to give major props to Tim because we had a, he actually wanted to set up, we had a phone call to like kind of discuss our podcast and also like what we'd be talking about. And he gave me so much information about the, um, the business, but also he was so excited about this connection that we've made. And the fact that like, that's what this community is all about. It's about making connection and then creating from there. And that's like, that's why you see so many collaborations between breweries collaborations. And we didn't even ask Gabriel about brave noise. You know, they, they, you know, looking back to Brianna Allen and brave noise, the global collaboration half acre did their own global, you know, their version of, of brave noise and did like a nice meaningful post about it on Instagram. Um, they do a lot of work with, um, you know, they do a lot of collections at the brewery, whether it's um, hygienic items or clothing, um, they work with a lot of local um, shelters in Chicago. So the fact that that this all this creation happens when you just reach out and people are so eager to make those connections. And Gabriel has made those connections through his all of his journey. And then he comes to us and we make that connection. That's what really what this podcast is about. That's really what this industry is about, what this community is about. And we get to be like the smallest little blip on that radar. And it's still just as special. Yeah. And so listeners, if you have thought through this episode and listening to it, like, huh, I know someone who uh, is into art or I know someone who actually, you know, has tried glass blowing uh, or has thinks it's cool <laughs> or started a business or cares about community or is also that philosophical thinker of what is the like 
the blend of personal and professional life that, that they want, then we would love it for you to share this episode with them. Again, thank you for doing that already to the folks who are spreading the word. It'll really help us grow the listenership and to just increase the conversation about important issues in the craft beer community. So if you can share this episode with one new person, and if you make a habit of that, like one new person a week, and they don't even have to be like, this was a little more beery than actually most of our episodes. It's kind of funny because beer is the first word in the title, uh, but a lot of the podcast is not about beer. So in any case, thank you for spreading the word. Thank you to those who follow us on Instagram at Beer People Podcast. Uh, to those who send us emails at beerpeoplepodcast at gmail.com and to folks who use our website to access all of the episodes and all of the ways that you can listen to us. Thank you so much for doing that. We will talk to you again soon. Cheers.